Restart. Be Real is brought to you by the MFA in Writing program at California College of the Arts in San Francisco. Their two-year program has launched Molly Prentice, Adam Nemet, and Julie Lithcott-Hames. Come write with them. Learn more about CCA's den of poets, raconteurs, playwrights, and novelists at cca.edu slash writingmfa. You can talk about film with a philosopher's zeal or measure them all by box office appeal but for once in your life be real welcome one and all to be real what we hope beyond hope is your movie reviewing and reappraising podcast my name is chance solemn pfeiffer and i'm noah ballard we are gathered here today for a mini episode with a special hook, we're going to talk about the film Wildlife, which is forthcoming in most markets. It stars Jake Gyllenhaal and Carey Mulligan, and it is the directorial debut from an actor you probably know if you watch this or if you listen to this show and are a passing fan of cinema. Uh, this is Paul Dano's first film. You'd probably know Paul from There Will Be Blood, Little Miss Sunshine, Swiss Army Man, Prisoners. He's been in a bunch of stuff. He has really good taste. Um, as an actor, and we've got him on the phone later on this show. But first, Noah and I are going to talk wildlife. What? What do you? You got anything to say out front, buddy? I have to say, I was pretty daunted about this episode. You kind of you sprung this on me a little bit, and then I like read the synopsis for it and watched the trailer, and I was like, oh god. <laughs> and yeah. it's about a very happy family doing happy family things. No, it's it's miserable family. Like, what do I want to do? Is the escapism from like my everyday life is like watch a fucked up family in Montana in the nineteen sixties? Like, ugh. Yeah. But I have to say that I think I think I'll I may come around. Right. Um. We'll t- we can talk about our impressions of the movie a, a little more as we go. So, the basic setup is as you said, 1960, Great Falls, Montana, you have this family that's new to town, the Brinsons, you get the sense that they're fairly nomadic, and that uh, the father, Jerry, played by Jake Gyllenhaal, has had trouble um, holding down jobs because of just uh, how he believes himself to be. Yeah, he has this ego and this stubbornness about him that, like, he's not quite as bad as, say, like, a glass castle kind of thing, but at the same time... You know, he'd probably like have a beer with Vigo Mortensen from Captain Fantastic and feel really inspired and do that for like a month. <laughs> yeah, there's some kinship between these dads. Um, and then Jean, the mother, uh, Carrie Mulligan, they recently decided that she will not work after they've relocated because Jerry is trying to hold it down with his job as a golf pro. And they have this 14 year old son, uh, Joe. Um, who's played by Ed Oxenbold, who's definitely a, a newcomer, but but has one of those striking faces that makes you think, I'm going to be seeing this kid in indie movies for the next five or six years. Um, and I was listening to Zoe Kazan, who, you know, Paul Dano's partner, who co-wrote the movie with him on Marin, and they were talking about the movie, and Marin was like, it's a funny movie, because if you just say what happens, the average person would be like, that's a movie? <laughs> um the synopsis of the movie is is basically that Jerry gets fired, the Gene wants to work, uh, Joe watches his parents, 
um, shift slightly in his eyes and it's clarified for him that they are adults with real flaws who are not just his parents. Joe goes to fight this fire that's happening, uh, you know, miles away from Great Falls, but for no real reason, you know, a reason that he cannot explain to the family. And, and, and then Joe and Gene are sort of left to deal with the fallout of that. It is a very spare drama. You know what they call trees in a forest fire? Fuel. You know what they call the trees left up when the fire goes by? They call them the standing dead. Mom is dead. Is dead okay? Of course he is. His pride got hurt. That happens sometimes. You don't have to worry about anything, Joe. There comes a time when a man needs something more to hang his hat on. I got this homicide in my head. I need to do something about it. You understand? You know what I wanted to ask you before we get started? This is based on a novel by Richard Ford. Uh, what is Richard Ford's reputation? He just came out with a book recently. Yeah, Richard Ford is considered pretty literary. Uh, he's a novelist and a short story writer. He came out with a book recently called Let Me Be Frank With You. Okay. Uh, which got great reviews. That's not a column in, like, the Topeka newspaper? <laughs> I, I maybe. Written by someone named Frank? Um, yeah. But he's sort of like a contemporary, like, John Updike. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, yeah, the book's from 1990, I think, and the setting, as we said, is 1960. Uh, so this adaptation, long Let time Let me ask coming. you this. Yeah. How many old cars do you think they rented for this movie? Like a, <laughs> like a bunch. At least three. There are more car extras in this movie than there are people extras in this movie. So, yeah, maybe it's a good time to get into our sort of expectations versus what's happening here. I, like you, before someone was like, hey, do you want to interview Paul Dano? Looked upon this movie with a, with a sense of dread. I was like, do I really want to watch this year's version of The Hours or Revolutionary Road? Right. But this movie... But it also has sort of like a James Franco kind of sensibility to like, let's take a Richard Ford novel and turn it into a $5 million movie. Sure, sure. But the movie, and I think because of Paul Dano's sensibility, is not as dire and annoying as I feared. There is no proverbial Philip Glass score underneath this. In fact, you can go to the score to tell the tale. It's just like a couple clarinets and like this beautiful kind of It's a good score piano. though. Yeah, it's good. I like noticed it in a good way and I don't always like notice scores of movies. But yeah, but yeah there is a certain, there's a certain accessibility to it that I didn't expect because of the subject matter. You know, there's no like... 30 second shot of like a, like a water glass, like sitting in a sink somewhere, right. you know, and there's no like fucking dog doing something weird. And then it like cuts to Jake Gyllenhaal and there's no, like there's nothing gruesome about this movie. I guess like a movie with this sort of like, I don't know, indie patina on it. Like you think there's going to be some horrible like violence at some point there will be blood, so to speak. Well, there's nothing socially gruesome about it either. This movie doesn't in really endeavor to say much. Um, everything it says, it says through this specific family and in a lot of ways through the eyes of a 14-year-old. So you don't get that like 
um, you know, argument on behalf of second wave feminism or self-flagellating the fact that this is a movie about white people at this time that's been heavily portrayed in film. It's, it's, you're so close to the kitchen sink that it, it's not pretentious, which is great. Right. But it is a little icky. How? Why the so I mean what ultimately becomes the narrative tension for this is this young boy's relationship with his mother and how he like starts I mean at first he sees his parents as sort of these superheroes as every child is wont to do but then he not only sees her as a human being but a sexual being right and then he has to become the broker of his parents like whatever their mess yeah Gene starts this uh, relationship with. Local rich guy Warren Miller, who's played by a Bill one-legged Camp. Bill Camp. That's right. Who, uh, of course, played uh, Brian Wilson's dad in the Paul Dano starring Love and Mercy. So, oh yeah, and he another was in weird the, uh, layer. The night of too. He's great in that. It's Detective Box. A Detective Box. An I, unforgettable name. That is. It's unforgettable. I'll come out with some praise. This some is praise. some of the finest film acting, top to bottom, I've seen in a while. I really think that everyone in this movie is so um, precise. And it's not often you see a movie, and obviously Dana would leave room for this because he's acted his whole life and he cares a lot about acting. It's not often you think about like the movie's second script that's happening inside the character's head, but he just leaves the camera rolling on people, especially Carrie Mulligan. There's so many scenes where she breaks a silence by laughing to herself gesturing you to think about what the moment that just happened has meant to her in her mind. Yes. And when things like that are happening, you were watching an actor's movie. Right. And this is like Taylor made Jake Gyllenhaal kind of like, you know, failing nuanced 30 something. Right. You know, (laughs) what if it was October sky 30? Yeah. What if I was the, one of the adults now in October sky, Right. you know, I, I, I shot rockets as a kid. It's headed for the mine. It's headed for the mine. That was such a contrived piece of October <laughs> Sky. Is it Chris Cooper, the dad in that? That's right, and he's scary oh as fuck. Oh my god! <laughs> but no, it's it's perfect, and I think the uh, the son. I think Ed's great. He is really good. But Mulligan just steals. Carrie just steals the the scenes she's in. I would say that so. That scene I think is one of the when it's the the son and detective box, that whole date that they're on is one of the weirdest and like most like impactful scenes for really nothing happening in it that I've seen in a movie in ages. Right. So yeah, this is where Jean takes Joe over to on on that date and and she's just one of the th- the things that's so there's so much room for Mulligan is that she just starts to wildly vacillate back and forth between these different visions of herself that she might've had if she hadn't gotten married and had a kid at 20. Right. right? Um, I just love her goodbye in that scene where she's like, I'm irritable and my son's tired. So we're leaving now and then exit return and then come back with, well, I managed to have some fun this evening. I don't know about you. One of my favorite slow burning things of the movie is like you just realize there's just this incompatibility that's so simple to them that Jake Gyllenhaal is a simple person and she is not like she gets she does all these riffs where she she realizes she gets to teach swim at the Y and she's she's like funny and putting on a show and she's like maybe one day a great flood will come and 
Only the right people will float to the top. The people who took swimming at the Y. And then later on in the movie, like when all of this carnage is said and done, Jake Gyllenhaal's like, you can't get mad at me because I went to some fire. And I was like, is that what you've gotten out of this movie to this point? But it's very revealing the ways in which like people, when they are like incompatible on like a very, very base level, they're often the last ones to know it. Right. How do you think the directing is? Well, that was an interesting, and you asked him a pretty interesting question, and maybe we should get to his interview sooner rather than later. But you're talking about his influences, and like it just reminded me of the great directors he's worked with. And then as I sort of retroactively thought of the shot list, there's like a couple, it's like, yep, there's a Ryan Johnson shot. Like, yep, there's a PTA shot. Like, I thought the Ryan, the most Ryan Johnson-y shot in the whole movie was when he doesn't get on the bus, and it's oh, like the yeah. camera's looking for him. Like, that's just straight out of brick or something. It just doesn't have the whimsical score behind it. Sure, that's a great point. And there's a lot of, like, the dancing scene, like, feels a lot like Boogie Nights, kind of, you know, just, like, dress it up, move it up and down. It's yeah. Nice. Committed but uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, you know, my favorite one in the movie, I think it's the first question I ask him about is, where after Jerry's been fired and his son, like, goes to find him to tell him they might hire him back... And he knocks in the car window and dad's like been sleeping in the car for some who knows how long. But you also don't know where they are. And they have this whole conversation about like, dad, do you want your job back? And he's like, I don't work for people like that. And then it zooms out and he's just like on a city street and there are people around. And it's like, this is much more like sad and deranged than I had thought throughout the entire scene. There's right. a lot of interesting he's like waiting outside of like a day laborer kind of access point right yeah it's just like out in the industrial part of this small town let's talk about well why don't you go to the why don't we cut to the interview and then we can talk about some of the things that paul says yeah so i chatted with paul on the phone um last week and he was real personable and and kind of shy and definitely somebody who's thought about movies his whole life and it was fun to talk to him so let's hear that conversation I think your father has a woman out here. No, he wouldn't do that. No? Why do you think men do things? So it's your first time directing, so let me start with a question about uh, visuals. I felt like one of the most sort of evocative, repeated shots in the movie is when you would you'd hold really close in a scene. Um, I'm thinking of like Joe knocking on the car window and Jerry being in the car. And, but you don't really realize like where they are or what's going on. And you kind of do the same thing with the fire and the shot of the house at the end. And so I'm wondering, how did that, how did that kind of inward to outward reorienting uh, motif sort of find itself in your directing? Well, that's a good question. Um, I suppose I like anything, like as, a, as an audience member, I always like when my senses are activated, so to speak. Yeah. Um, you know, I want to be involved in the scene as an audience member. Um, and I think I've always appreciated not being treated like I need everything fed to me. Um, you, you know, so I think you get the feeling of where the characters are most of the time without telling people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really also was trying to boil the film down to something, um, like that feels essential, you know, um, I like the illusion of simplicity 
I like something that feels kind of spare, and I think it allows things to, to kind of uh, deepen and to feel bigger, actually, um, because you're putting the attention sort of into the, the details and and um, and a, why why have an establishing shot? You know, like what is it really doing? Uh, uh-huh. You know, uh, <laughs> honestly. Uh, I mean, now I'm tired, so I'm just saying, you know, you know, I shouldn't say it that way. I don't mean to, you know, but, but, but most of the time, right? Like, sure. don't just show me a quick shot of some building and then the characters and stuff. Like, you know, like that's not using, you know, as a director, every shot and cut you put for the audience, you're telling them to look at something and, you know, it's sort of just trying to point, uh, point, um, in the right direction, I guess. Yeah. Did you at any time? Uh, want to be in this movie, or did you take it on with the specific uh, intention of not acting in it? Yeah, that was it. I I wanted to make a film for a long time, and I'm I was just so excited to work with the camera and you know uh, team and, and the, the sort of design of the film and and to work with the actors. And I had uh, honestly zero interest in acting in it. Um, mm. Just too much too much to learn and focus on and. Uh, so to hear you and uh, Zoe talk about uh, writing the script and kind of and handing it back and forth over the course of like several years, right? You would you would trade drafts. Um, I was curious in that process. Was there ever a time, Paul, where 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 you came back and Zoe had been working on it and she was like, "Here's the latest draft," and you had a moment of like, "Oh my God, she found this thing that." I had really been struggling with, or I didn't even know we were looking for. Can you think of an example of that? Huh. Well, I'm sure that moment happened. Um, at this point, so like, we showed the film to Richard Ford, and, and, and he loved the film. And yeah. he um, said to me, you know, I love this one particular moment. I said, oh, well, you know, that, that, that that's in the book. And he said, no, it's not. Oh, really? Yeah. And I said, yeah, no, it is. I think it is. I'm pretty sure it is, you know, and my point the anecdote really meaning like i don't think zoe and i know anymore like mm-hmm. what's what <laughs> either you know um there's so much from the book and zoe and i did do many passes of this and it is hard to say sort of you know um what that moment was um there were certainly important departures from the book that i remember talking about and remember coming upon because you just have to take those steps away from it to let it become its own thing. Um, and you mean like stuff that was really specific to like literature that you had to translate or leave behind? Yeah, no, more like leave behind. Yeah, you know, and 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 then also to sort of uh, you know stuff to create. You know that that it, so remembering stuff that's like not in the book. But our process was fairly liquid and. I have to say, you know, certainly one of the first things Zoe did was help to bring a sense of structure and spine to it, um, because I think I was probably writing more by, like, the image or the shots, almost, Mm -hmm. uh, immediately. And so um, she really helped, you know, it take a shape um, and take a step away from the book in that regard as well. I'm curious, Paul, through, like, your last, I guess, however many years, with directing kind of being on your horizon and making a film being something you wanted to do. Was there, is there a point in your acting career where you 
really locked in to paying attention how people like, I mean, you've worked with incredible directors, PTA, Ryan Johnson, Denis Villeneuve, Rebecca Miller. Was there a point there where you like locked in and you're like, oh, hold on, I need to like really absorb what's going on here if I want to do this myself? Or was it more of a, have you always been attuned to like how the film around you was getting made or was there a moment where you tuned in more? Well, I've wanted to make films for a long time. So that's in, in my love of the medium has definitely informed my acting career. Mm-hmm. Meaning, you know, that I, you know, want to be, I, I like when I get to be in a certain type of film and work with a filmmaker, you know. Um, but usually when I'm acting, you're sort of a horse with blinders on for your character. That said, there is, a, I think, a lot of osmosis that hopefully happens. And certainly just seeing people, how they work with their crew, and seeing different actors go to work and the sort of care and hard work and focus. And, you know, there's a lot um, that I've picked up, but but largely in the energy of it, you know, okay. um, in terms of like where to put the camera, you know, or why a certain lens, that doesn't come from my acting experience. Sure. Um, that comes from, you know, being a real movie dork and, uh, you know, like studying film, you mm-hmm. know, um, and, uh, but yeah, of course I've picked up, you know, a, a lot and, uh, and I've always gotten such pleasure out of the idea of even working with DPs, you know, Roger Deakins and yeah. and you know, certain people who I'm like, you know, this is going to be just, uh, it's going to be meaningful for me to, you know, share the set with them. Um, in, and maybe, you know, off, uh, off work hours, you get to dork out a little about, you know, um, you know, some camera stuff or something. Yeah. With like Deakins? Sure, with that, that? yeah, with a lot of people. Yeah, I mean, you know, or you, t- or you end up, to, you know, if you become friendly and you st- suddenly you're t- talking about films, you yeah. know, right? And and that's just that's just fun. What about running a set? Or I mean, you know, running may not be the right word. That may be too authoritarian of a word. But uh, just being around a director and and having that moment of like, you know, if I ever get to make a movie, I I want to treat people like this, and I want the energy, as you said, of my set to be like this does 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 any specific past experience kind of come to mind or was influential for you i mean a lot of them honestly sure. um that's good yeah sure like you know i mean definitely you step on the um you know uh you the set of there will be blood and there's just a certain temperature there right the crew you know i really love when the crew is there like meaning they're like in the film um you, you know as opposed to on their cell phones or something, you know? Um, and I think a lot of that comes from the director and the DP and the lead actors kind of setting a tone. And, um, I've certainly seen, it's certainly been beneficial to see somebody like Paul wait for the oil to drip correctly and know that time and money's burning, but you gotta get it right. Or uh. I've seen Steve McQueen, you know, um, I, you know, I've seen, I remember him being, we were making a very difficult film, a very difficult subject matter, but he still brought so much, energy to it and positivity actually mm-hmm. um he was a great cheerleader for his actors um considering what they were going through 12 years uh, of slave you're talking about that. for the audience i should say oh, sorry, sorry. oh yes yeah yep. um to see that you know is uh it's, it's nice you know it's like ah oh, great i it's nice to know that even when you're working on this kind of material you can still bring positivity and gusto you know um and uh um and I uh, saw Denis Villeneuve, uh, um, you know, there was one time a scene that didn't, something didn't feel right. I think it was kind of a jump scare scene and it just didn't feel good. And we stopped and we talked about it and we changed 
stuff and the scene became better and it became suddenly about the morality of the moment and a lesser director may have not have been able to you know um it's it was important to see somebody you know know that something could be better and not afraid to say it right you know and um so the idea that you can stop and say this is not working or this can be better you know, there's so there's all. I mean, and on almost every film, there's something like, you know, that you probably get inspired by. I've, I wanted to find a tactful way to ask you a, a Daniel Day Lewis question too, that wasn't just the standard like, "What was that like?" But I'm curious, having directed, has having directed at all, does that give you any new insight or perspective on just how, um, how to collaborate with a person like that, whose 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 process and and whose uh, methods like really heavily impact everyone around them. I mean, I'm sure to some extent that's always true, but yeah. And any new insights having been the, the director now? Well, look, I think there's probably, I've probably seen habits that aren't necessarily helpful or conducive to, 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 you know, um, a film set. Daniels are, are incredibly conducive to, to the work. And, um, I would say that, uh, I would say no, yes, and no, 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 in regards to him because I, I think his process is. Uh, I don't think he um, expects anything, you know, in return from his scene partners and in, in, in a negative way. And uh, yeah, and I also found it it's, it's very helpful. It's it's kind of you know, it's creating um, energy. Uh, uh, that temperature on, you were talking about. Yeah, and between us, you know, um, being nemesis, and it, it, and it, you know, or sort of, you know, in that film. So um, I think it raises the stakes, and that's what you're looking for. Um, uh, so uh, certainly I feel now like it, one of the fun jobs of directing is getting the best out of everybody. It's, you know, not, not quite like parenting, but, you know, there's a... So being able to knowing that there's so many different ways to act and and having been in the headspace and worked with different actors i do think helps me as a director sort of say okay like how does ed our kid work you know mm-hmm. and how can i help him and how does jake work and carrie work and how's bill camp work and you know um and uh that was really fun for me let me ask you about carrie really fast um because her character gene once jerry leaves the movie for a portion she really becomes this kind of whirlwind of reactions to this new situation right she's ambitious she's self-destructive she's um she's educational to her son she's also like forcing her son to see the the human outside of just the mother in her it's she's overreacting and correcting and overcorrecting and trying all these things on i think as carrie herself kind of put it but but Carrie Mulligan remains so precise in that performance. So I'm wondering, as an actor, how hard is that? And as a director, what is it like to watch somebody do that? She has such an incredible sort of weather system, you know, mm. uh, sort of operating inside of her. And that was so important for this part to sort of have this kid be faced with, you know, shadow and light and a smile one second and then a erratic behavior the next you know and sort of just experience this this woman's crisis you know through him um 
and absolutely so fun to collaborate with her because she's capable of both great um, specificity and she's capable of also um, losing herself in a moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's a very high caliber of, of actor. Um, it's part of why I, I wanted her. And, you know, not only has she been great on film, but I've seen her, you know, uh, her work on stage and, you know, her facility with language and just really um, loved, loved uh, getting to be her sort of, you know, partner um, in that. Yeah. My last question for you, Paul. Your beloved Cleveland Cavaliers are zero and three to start the year, but this could be like a wonky, fun team. Do you have any hope for the NBA season? Well, okay, so I'm a big basketball fan. Yeah. And, you know, I am, you know, I have no, uh, like, you know, I am first a Knicks fan, sadly. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's sad too. Manhattan. Yeah. Um, I really like our, our coach, Coach Fisdale. Um, yeah. I think that's a great start, and I really have like hope for the next few years. Okay. In terms of where they can grow and get a free agent, the Cavaliers. I were you more just, of a LeBron guy when you had, there was that whole yes. press thing? Okay, sorry, my mistake. Yes. No, and I don't know. That was a whole thing. But anyway, I was just so the. I mean, I just love I, you know watching those finals. I mean, oh, Jesus, an incredible seven game series. Yeah. I think. I was just so excited, and also, right, Golden State had won the previous year, and the story, yep. you know, um, and LeBron is one of the greatest players ever, and, and I think it's a pleasure to watch. Um, I'm, I'm not a Lakers fan, so, you know, that's it. Um, actually, I shouldn't say that. I should probably try to get some tickets somehow. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, so I'll redact that. All right. Um, Maybe you can redact uh, the establishing shot thing, too, later, but for now, just Lakers. Yeah. Um, yeah, but uh, I'm excited for the season. It seems a little like messy so far in a good way. Like the yeah. Pelicans are super good. The Nuggets are looking good. I mean, it's too early. It's three games in. Right. Yeah. But uh, but some there's some there's some maybe some fun. Yes, indeed. All right, man. Well, I really enjoyed this movie, and, and it's an honor to talk to you. I love your work, and, and thanks for the time. Okay, go Blazers, Portland. That's Portland. R- oh wow, good memory. Yes, we're two and one, almost three and zero. You take care, Paul. <laughs> All right. Take care. Bye, Bye man. man. I used to dress like this all the time when I was younger. You know, it's probably nice to know your parents were once not your parents. Well, thanks to Paul Dano for coming on Be Real. Not that he really knew what Be Real was or that he was coming on it, but he remembered that he was talking to someone from Portland. That was sweet. Um, yeah, he seemed to know a little bit about you. That was kind of nice. Just, yeah. Let me ask you this about your interview with Paul Dano. He says he doesn't like the establishing shot, but weren't there moments in this movie where you wished he had done like a small scene in town instead of just doing a shot of the train going through the town in an establishing shot? Yeah, that's that's fair. I think there maybe was a limit to shots that just let you know that they were in the middle of goddamn nowhere and this town turns to high desert, like just outside. We got that part. Which is not to say that, like, some of the forest fire camera work was, like, unbelievable. It was remarkable. Same Probably trick, not, to, not right? hard to find these, this day and age. Yeah, I want, and I wonder if that small issue goes to one of my, like, just tiny sort of bugaboos with this movie. Oh, tell me is, one of your bugaboos. Which is, for a lot of the first part, we got some solid, like, third person going on, right? We can go anywhere we want. And we, we, we spent some time with Gene and we spent some time with Jerry and we spent some time with Joe. 
and but then down the stretch, especially in the more uncomfortable parts of the movie, which is Joe seeing uh, Gene and Warren's relationship, we kind of like switch into a hard first, and it's a little bit excruciating, especially for an audience that's known now for half an hour that they're sleeping together. It's sort of an odd use of the time, and I don't necessarily see why we couldn't have gone, continued the third person back out to what Jerry was doing. I think this movie has a problem, too, of, like, who's the protagonist? Is it the mom or is it the kid? And I think, ultimately, it's it decides that it's the kid, but that presents the limitations of we don't see much of, like, the outside world. Like, we get a little bit of school, but there's no real school, like, scene. There's, like, that, do you want to hang out? Can't. Like, will they, won't they, with the girl on the bus? And but I was a little we, disappointed they never went back to that. that it's, it's true. Do they want to build out his story? Because they have a lovely little relationship for the two minutes we see them on screen, but then we never go back. So, like, whose emotions matter most right. here? It seems that only Jeanette's emotions matter. But then it's like, but she's not the protagonist. But then we don't get to see, like, like where does she go during the day? Because it seems like she doesn't really have that job. It seems no. like the job's maybe a lie, that she's just getting money from Detective Box. That's a little trying, and I think it it ultimately stops this movie that I think surprisingly could be good good because it's such a human story with so much excellent acting that's not nearly as like twist the knife in as you think it's going to be, except for kind of that like middle 30 minutes where it's just like we get it they're sleeping together you don't have to go in the room and find the whiskey and see her run out and it's it's tough i just think this movie is ultimately funnier than paul dano thinks it is yeah and it like could have been like if you give the town a little bit more personality because that's the thing like there's that scene where he puts the coat on her and he's she's like i can't wear this home like what'll people what will people think but, like, we've never interacted with anyone. So, like, who's going to think what? Like, how will that change their world at all? Like, I think you need to build out the, maybe the comedy of, like, them sort of sneaking around in the sun. I'm not saying, like, I'm talking about, like, American beauty comedy, not, like, you know, Todd Brooks. Phillips yeah. comedy. But yeah. I think for, for that reason, it's, it's not so watchable because it is a drama. It's not annoyingly good bad like we suspected, but I think it still is. It still is good bad. Um, but, but it's a very stimulating movie, and for such a you know a movie that's a shade over ninety minutes, you could do a lot of interesting character study work in here. This is a basic, essentially a movie about people's small wants that equaled their flaws. I mean, Jerry, I'm sure, wishes... Not their big wants. Jerry, I'm sure, wishes he was president of Chevy, and I'm sure Jeanette wishes she was Catherine Hepburn. But these are about these, like, small little flaws where it's just like, I just want to do this, honey, and I can't explain it, okay? She's like, great, well, I'm just going to do what I want to do, honey, because that's just who I am. And about, like, watching people get set in their ways and what happens when they try to jump the grooves of their ways... Um, and it is a very successful little drama in that sense. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, if you think that Chance and I are being too mean to this movie, why don't I just interject a feature I'd like to call Noah Reed's user reviews from IMDb. <laughs> I just okay. want to read one. Sure. This one is titled Awful. I watched this trash movie on Sarajevo Film Festival 
and it was a huge disappointment. I left the open-air cinema 40 minutes before the end, as many other people. Scenario is a complete disaster on many levels. Two out of ten. <laughs> so, like, I feel like we, we were nice. We were nicer than that. Yeah, nicer than that Slavic asshole. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't think I've ever stopped watching a movie from the podcast, have I? No, I think... I think it's there a, was one early on. I think it's an unspoken rule that we don't do that. We don't do I check my phone sometimes when I'm bored. Would yeah, we've had movies where we're like, well, I had to pause this one nine times, but I made it through. I watched this over the course of thirty six hours in two minute chunks. Right. Wildlife is not that way. And I, the ending is beautiful. God, if you've ever wanted to see really good acting, just look at the three expressions on the people's faces in the last shot. Holy shit. The ending's a little cute. But, you think so? Oh, it's such an indie movie, like, wink. Oh, I don't think so. I think it's great. I think it sticks the landing, sure, but it's like a pretty, you know, precious ending. Precious? I just want a picture of my parents. I that's I think that's a terrible call, man. I think that he has nothing but misery on his face. She's about to cry. There is a conspicuous gap that the son has intentionally left between the right. chairs. Because he's watched he his parents... Feels he feels like this is going to be their happiest moment, though, which is so sad. Oh, it's sad for sure. They, they've come to some understanding. That's the coming of age, though. It's like he's watched his parents sort of like inexplicably in his eyes do what they want for most of the movie. And so finally, he's just kind of like, well, I can't really change this, but I am going to do what I want for this one instant. And I think it's beautiful. Hey, that makes sense to me, man. Okay, folks, to find other episodes of Be Real, you can check out berealpodcast.com. Instagram, Twitter are wonderful places to connect with us. We've had a ton of great episodes. We had a really cool like John Carpenter horror episode last week. Um, if you haven't listened back to some of our other sort of headliner interviews, we have had Gus Van Sant and Deborah Granick on this year, and now Paul F. and Dano. So it's an exciting time, yeah. uh, and I'm always happy to share that time with you, buddy. Absolutely. And if you have like a favorite movie that you want to hear us talk about, go through our, our old episodes. There's a good chance since we're coming up on all the movies now, we're almost right. done here, uh, <laughs> that we've done a movie that means something to you. Yeah. We're, we're closing in on the full library. All right, buddy. This has been such a pleasure. What's going to happen to us? Awesome.